Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. Please help us this morning as we read through it and as we try to understand how it applies to us today to recognise where your truth can be found and to use it appropriately. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look around, you can find plenty of people who will, who will be happy to teach you about religion. The newspapers often contain religious teaching, don't they? Uh, whether it be in the letters section or in the editorials, or you've got all kinds of uh, journalists in Sydney who love to write about religion. People like Julia Baird, Piers Ackerman, Miranda Devine, Peter Fitzsimons, Mike Carlton, and so on. If you turn on the TV, you can hear more religious teachers. Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn, Kenneth, Kenneth Copeland... If you go down to the bookshop or to the library, you can, then you can find shelves and shelves of books on religion. Uh, open your front door, you might find a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness wanting to teach you about religion. Or walk down the mall here in Chatswood, you could get accosted. Somebody would love to talk to you about religion. Show up at church, someone will be standing here wanting to teach you about religion. Uh, show up to any of the churches or temples or to the synagogue in Chatswood and it'll be the same. Someone will be there wanting to teach you about religion. And, well, ultimately just ask anyone's opinion. Anyone's opinion on religion. Most people will be happy to educate you on their religious views. There are plenty of people who reckon they can teach you about religion. But, of course, not everyone agrees, do they? People don't even agree on the most basic points. Is there a God or not? How many gods are there? Can you know God? Can you be in relationship with God? People can't even agree on the basics. They contradict each other on the most fundamentals, let alone on finer points of doctrine. Lots of people reckon they can teach you about religion, but they often contradict each other. And it's quite possible that there's a heck of a lot at stake. It could be incredibly costly to be wrong about religion. In the Telegraph, the Daily Telegraph last Tuesday, Piers Ackerman talks about what the Quran says about Christians. I haven't checked this against the Quran itself, but let me quote from the article. The Quran invites Muslims to wage war against Christians and Jews and to pray that Allah will fight against them. Chapter 9, verse 30. Christians and Jews are labelled infidels and hypocrites who live in hell. Chapter 66, verse 9. Those who claim that Jesus is the Son of God are called liars. Chapter 4, verse 171. Chapter 10, verses 66 to 69. And will have boiling water poured over their heads melting whatever is in their bellies and skins. Chapter 22, verse 20. Now, by the way, I'm not criticising Muslims for saying that sort of stuff. I'm not criticising the Quran for saying that kind of stuff. If that is true, well, I want to know about it. I'd much rather know the truth so that I can act on it and avoid the melted belly. And, of course, Christianity, the Christian message, is just as exclusive, isn't it? If Christianity is right, then what you do about religion is absolutely crucial. 
The Bible is clear that those who do not rely on the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ will not be forgiven. Without Jesus, people will face God's anger and judgment. Quoting John 3.36, for example, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There are lots of people who want to teach us about religion. They often contradict each other. And the stakes could well be incredibly high. So so, so what should we do? Where can we find the truth? How How can we test religious teaching to see if it's true or not? Well, you may remember from last week that uh, we're following Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey. They've travelled across to Europe for the first time, to the city of Philippi. They've been telling lots of people the message about Jesus. Some people are putting their trust in Jesus, but some people are opposing them. And as chapter 16 closes, you may remember Paul and Silas are forced to leave the city of Philippi. Well, now in chapter 17, we pick it up and they're heading, they're heading off to a place called Thessalonica. That's the the main city in Macedonia. Uh, As they did um, right through the first missionary trip, the first thing they do is they head straight for the synagogue. That's that's the Jewish church. And they tell the people there about Jesus. Pick it up with me in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. When they passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. And notice there how Luke describes what Paul is doing. He's reasoning from the scriptures. The scriptures that the Jews had, the scriptures we now have as our Old Testament. Uh, Paul and his Jewish readers, they share the assumption that the Bible is God's true word. And so that's where they go. That's that's where they look to check out whether teaching about God is true. Paul sits down with them and he shows them from, from the Bible what he's trying to say. He proves what he's trying to say from the Bible. With his Jewish audience, he goes to the Old Testament. He talks about their long-expected Christ, the, the Messiah, the, the king that was promised for Israel. Paul shows from the Bible that the promised Messiah would suffer and then rise again. And then notice also what he does. He talks about this Jesus that I am proclaiming to you. He he proclaims Jesus to them. He tells them about Jesus. No doubt he tells them about uh, Jesus' life, his his amazing miracles, his amazing teaching. uh, Proclaims about Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. Proclaims about Jesus rising again from the dead. And so what he does, then he pulls it all together. Uh, The Bible says that the Christ, the King, must suffer and rise again from the dead. This Jesus that I'm proclaiming to you, he suffered and rose again from the dead. Conclusion, this Jesus is the long-awaited Christ. He's your King, your Rescuer. Paul demonstrates it from the Bible. And uh, there, in Luke chapter four, there in verse 4, uh, Luke tells us how people responded. 
Notice they don't, they don't shut their eyes and take a leap of faith. They don't ignore the evidence and become Christians anyway. The Christian faith is not about believing what ain't so. People are persuaded. They look at the evidence, this evidence that has accumulated over thousands of years in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, and they are convinced Paul's message about Jesus, it does match up with what the Old Testament says. Jesus is the long-promised king and saviour. All those prophecies, predictions, they've come true in him. And so they rely on Jesus. And they join up with Paul and Silas. Verse 4, some of the Jews were, notice the word, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Uh, but once again, as he often did on the first missionary journey, Luke tells us that it wasn't just Jews who were converted. And this is the, the shocking but magnificent news of Acts. There are also non-Jews, Gentiles. And as we know from the book of Acts, they are just as welcome, equally welcome as the Jews. So halfway through verse 4, some of the Jews persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But as we saw in the first missionary journey, many of the Jews don't like it. They particularly don't like that Gentiles would be accepted into Christianity without having to become Jews. They can't understand that the Jewish king would be accepting pagans without, without them having to, to join in the covenant. They're jealous about it. And so some of the Jews in Thessalonica make trouble. They start a riot. They try to get Paul and Silas lynched. Verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. When they can't find Paul and Silas, they grab the people they're staying with, Jason and, and, and some other blokes, and uh, they charge them with harbouring these troublemakers and with being traitors against Caesar. Verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Well, there's such an uproar that uh, Jason and his friends have to post bond. That is, they have to make certain promises. They've got a promise, no doubt, to, uh, to no longer give hospitality to Paul and Silas, probably promise that they'll get them out of town. And, and if they break their promise, then they lose their bond, whatever the bond is. And so Paul and Silas are sent off to Berea. That's a town about 50 kilometres to the southwest of Thessalonica. Verse 8. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Again, with just extraordinary bravery and perseverance, Paul and Silas head straight off to the next synagogue. And this time, they get really what I think is set up for us as an ideal reaction. Luke says that the Bereans are more noble, more civilised, than the Thessalonians. The word literally means well-born. The Bereans deal with these new teachers in an appropriate way. They deal with them with wisdom and decency. They give them an eager and a fair hearing, but it's, but it's a critical hearing. They're open to learn new things, 
But they work hard to see if those new things match up with, with, with what God has already said in his word. So halfway through verse 10. On arriving in Berea, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now they carefully compare what Paul says with what the Bible says, and many of them are convinced. They accept Jesus as king and rescuer. Verse 12. Many of the Jews believed, and notice also, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Uh, but some of the Jews come down from Thessalonica to Berea and uh, they start to cause more trouble. And so the Christians send Paul off to Athens and uh, Silas and Timothy hang around soon to follow after him. Verse 13. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, well, we'll pick up what happens in Athens next week. But for now, let, let's think for a little while about what we've seen here in Thessalonica and in Berea. In many ways, if you think about it, it's more of the same thing that we've seen over and over again through Acts, isn't it? Um, Paul's second missionary journey, it's taking a very similar shape to the first missionary journey. Uh, he goes first to the synagogues, he speaks to the Jews about Jesus. Some of them are converted, some of them accept their own Messiah, but some Gentiles are also converted. They're accepted freely into Christianity, allowed to become Christians without having to become Jews. Uh, the unbelieving Jews don't like the way Gentiles are allowed to become Christians, and so they cause trouble. They try to hinder the, uh, the, the Gentiles from becoming Christians. And so there's this same pattern. Christianity starts off with the Jews, but many of the Jews are hardened against their own Messiah and against his uh, more inclusive plan. And so, just as the scripture predicted, the message of salvation is heading out to people of all nations. Of course, that's, that's the great news of the book of Acts, isn't it? This is what the whole book is on about. The way that the good news about Jesus is coming to everywhere. That's, that's what the book is on about. On its way even eventually to Australia. On its way to Ecuador. As we read through this book of Acts, this is something we need to continually be thanking God for because it's not ordinary that the gospel is for white Australians, that the gospel is for people from Asia. It's not ordinary that God's promises have been extended beyond the Jews. It's God's extraordinary grace that this is for us. Uh, we're also seeing, again, something of the divisiveness of the message about Jesus, aren't we? Um, those people who believe the message about Christ, they don't just become nominal Presbyterians. They don't just show up to church every now and then. It changes their whole life. It changes their allegiance. It changes their family. It changes their behaviour. It changes everything about them. This, this message about Jesus is totally life-transforming. And so if you believe it, it changes you completely. But if you don't believe it, well, people don't just sort of sit neutral, do they? They get angry and offended and annoyed at the change that it's making in other people. There doesn't seem to be a whole heap of apathy when the true message of Jesus is preached. It doesn't seem to be something that people can happily ignore and forget about. 
It seems to push people one way or the other. I think this is worth our while remembering as well. We do need to be talking to people about Jesus. That is God's way of bringing people to faith. It is crucial that we be faithful and brave in speaking about the Lord Jesus, but we've got to be prepared for this. It doesn't matter how nice you are about it. It doesn't matter how wise and careful you are about it. It doesn't even matter how persuasive you are about it. If you are faithful in talking about Jesus, some people will be offended. They will hate what you are doing. That's just the way it is. There's no point thinking, I will just speak about Jesus in such a nice and, and caring and persuasive and, and appropriate way that no one will ever be angry with me. It doesn't work that way. Let's get used to it. The gospel is offensive. If you're going to be faithful to God, well, as Jesus says, not everyone's going to like you. In some ways, we're seeing the same kinds of themes worked out on this second missionary journey as we did on the first. But there's one quite unique thing about this passage that, that I think really jumps out. And that is the place of Scripture. The way Luke tells the story here, he emphasises Paul's use of the Bible in evangelism. Paul reasons with people from the Scriptures, and they respond by examining the Scriptures. Paul's message about Jesus is founded on God's word, the Bible, and the way to see if it's true is to examine the scriptures. The basic assumption here shared by Paul and Silas and by their hearers is that the Bible is true. And, and so they are working together to see if the message about Jesus conforms with what God has said in the Old Testament scriptures. I reckon that's very significant for us today. I think it's got two major implications. The first big implication is this. Christianity stands or falls on the truth of the Bible. Christianity stands or falls on the truth of the Bible. If the Bible is true, Christianity is true. If the Bible is false, Christianity is false. The Bible is central to the truth of Christianity. If you want to know if Christianity is true, you've got to work out if the Bible is true. So, how do you know if the Bible is true? Well, I haven't got time to answer that question in great detail today. If you want to know more, come and talk to me about it. There are good books to read on the subject. A couple of years ago, we did a series of four talks on the subject here at church. I'm happy to pass them on to you. But can I just say this? Most people who, who question the truth of the Bible, who tell you that the Bible is rubbish and fairy tales and so on, they've never read it. They've never bothered to check it out for themselves. So that's got to be the starting point. If you want to know if the Bible is true, have a read of it. And by the way, if I were you, I wouldn't start at Genesis. I'd start with the New Testament, with the Gospel according to Matthew. Work through the New Testament, then go back and have a look at the Old. But, but don't be one of those people who, who knows everything about the Bible without ever actually having looked at it. All right, that's the first implication. The truth of Christianity is tied up with the truth of the Bible. Now, the second big implication flows from it. That is, if the Bible is God's true word, if the Bible is the, the, the source of our Christian faith, then it's got to be the standard for our Christian faith. It's got to be the thing that we use as a benchmark. As we've seen today, that's what Paul and Silas did. They reasoned from the scriptures 
And that's what the Jews in Thessalonica and Berea did. They used the Bible as their standard in judging. This is very important for us if we, like Paul and Silas, want to be teaching people correctly about Jesus. If we want to share our faith, we need to be teaching biblical concepts. It's wise to actually use the Bible to to back up what you're saying. Imagine someone comes to you at work, golf club or wherever, and they want to know about your religion. I've heard that you're a Christian. Can you tell me about it? What are you going to do? Well, take them to the Bible. Offer to give them a Bible. If you possibly can, show them what the Bible says. Offer to meet with them and read the Bible. If people come to me, as, as they do, and want to know about religion, I start off with the, um, the two ways to live presentation. People saying that. What, what I really like about this is it, it's based on six Bible verses. You can even get a Bible study where you work through six Bible verses with, with the people and, and, and from that show them the good news about Jesus. Uh, another good resource is this series of Bible studies. It's called Just for Starters, Seven Foundational Bible Studies. It's a great thing to do with people who are interested in Jesus. Um, I know a bloke who, uh, uh, in his work, it was his big goal was to give everybody a copy of it and offer to meet with them and, and, uh, and work through it with them. It's a great thing to do because you're, uh, you're doing what Paul and Silas did, reading the scriptures with people, reasoning with them from the Bible, examining the scriptures. If the Bible really is true, and remember, if it isn't, then Christianity isn't true. We should just go home. If the Bible really is true, then that's got to be the source of what we teach. Okay, we need to use the Bible when we teach Christianity. But we also need to use the Bible to test other people's teaching. I reckon the noble Bereans here are an excellent model for us. Notice again what they're like in verse 11. On the one hand... They're eager to hear new teaching. They're not the kind of people who think they know it all already. They don't think they've got nothing to learn. I vividly remember a few years ago, a lady coming up to me after church. She said, I'm sick of the way you teach the Bible every Sunday. She said, I've heard it before. I learned all I needed to know about the Bible in Sunday school. We ought to have the humility to realise that we don't actually know everything. That we might even believe wrong things. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's source of truth. You and I aren't necessarily. So we should have some humility and some eagerness to learn new things. But on the other hand, we mustn't be gullible. We mustn't be uncritical. Like the Bereans... We need to examine the scriptures to see if what we're hearing is true. We need to compare what a teacher is saying with what God says in his word. Of course, the best way to do that is to be thoroughly familiar with the Bible, to be immersed in it day after day after day. You know how they get to bank tellers to be able to check if, if, if notes are, uh, are forged. They don't show them every possible forged note there could be. They just give them lots of real money to handle and handle all the time and gradually a bank teller will be so used to handling real money they'll just pick a forgery. We're going to be so immersed in the scriptures, so, so used to what the scriptures say that we can pick a forgery as you watch some rubbish on TV or one of these prosperity gospel people or, or read some rubbish in the paper. It just, oh, that's not what the Bible says. You can feel it by immersing yourself in the scriptures. Of course, in this church... 
We want to try to make it as easy for you as possible. And so on the back of the order of service each week, you will find a section, Want to Prepare for Next Week. Please use it. It gives you a chance to look at the passage that we'll be looking at together for yourself so you can come prepared, so you can listen intelligently and carefully. Also in Bible study, each week we we work through the passage together so you can check it out with other people. Don't just listen to what the preacher's saying. Discuss the passage with each other, maybe even debate what he's saying. And that's why when I stand up here week by week, I consciously try to show you how what I am saying is coming from the Bible. As I talk, I keep going back to the Bible and reading it for you. I'm sorry if you find it a bit ponderous, but it is so important. You've got to be checking moment by moment that what is being said is what God is saying from the Scriptures. I do hope, by the way, that you have a Bible open here each Sunday. There is nothing more depressing to me than after seven years of being here seeing people who refuse to open the Bible week by week and look at what God says in his word. Let's be like the Bereans. Let's check carefully, examining what the scripture says. Okay, let's come back to where we started. There are lots of people who want to teach us about religion. They often contradict each other and the stakes are higher than you can imagine. So where can we find the truth? Ultimately, you're going to need to work that out for yourself. But can I say, for my part, I'm convinced that the Bible is true. I'm convinced that the Bible is God's true word. And I'm in good company. This is what Jesus himself thought. This is what Paul and Silas thought. It's what the Jews in Thessalonica and Berea thought. And it's what many of God's faithful people over the years have thought. So can I encourage you, if you're not sure what you think about the Bible, have a read of it. Come and talk to me. I'll arrange for someone to meet with you and help you understand what the Bible is saying. But please don't just ignorantly write it off as untrue. There's an enormous amount at stake. So check it out. And then if, if like me, you're convinced that the Bible is true, then let's learn from Acts chapter 17 here. Let's use the Bible as our standard. Like Paul and Silas, let's use it as we share our faith with other people. Let's use it as the foundation of our ministry. No point in a youth group that plays games that doesn't look at the Bible. No point in a scripture class that, 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 does, that doesn't look at the Bible. No point in anything that we do that is not founded on the scriptures. And then like the Bereans, let's, let's use it to test any teaching that we receive. The, the Bible is God's true word. The Bible is God's true word. So let's keep the Bible as our standard. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the Bible. We thank you that you've spoken to us through the Bible. We thank you that you tell us the truth about yourself from the Bible. We thank you that you tell us the great news of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And we thank you that he is the fulfilment of all your promises and that he is the one who can put us in the right with you. Our Father, do please help us to be people who regularly read the Bible, who use it as our standard, and please grant that we may stand faithful to the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.